Before I preach, will you take a moment, CC, if you can stay up here for a little bit. Just uh, I, we talk about this um, difference between expectation and expectancy, and uh, you know the reality is there. Just like you, there there are weeks when I will walk in here and literally have no sense of expectancy because it was a tough week and marriage is hard and you know things are not working out and just and 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 sometimes I fool. Sometimes I, I I forget that, and this is this is really important. Sometimes I forget that. Where I'm at will not deter God from doing the work that He wants to do in us. You know, I, I just see sometimes we come in here and we God is so small in our minds. Sometimes we go, God, I'm not feeling it. I don't want to be here. I got this and that, and we just kind of go. So, I, so therefore, I will come with zero sense of expectancy. I just come to sit, you know, and and or, or for some of us again. It's the opposite. We come with a list of things like God must do this, God has to do that, God has to do that. Why isn't He doing that? Why is He late? And so this morning, I just want to, as a reminder, just come. And the only thing that God asks of us is whether we are in this place of list of demands or else, or just no sense of anything. That we would just simply come and just say, God, you be God. So just take a moment, okay? Will you do that? Just take a moment. Regardless of how your week was, just just that simple prayer of God, you be God. You be God. For some of us, that means I let go of my demands and my expectations. For some of us, it's God, I let go maybe of zero expectancy. Just... And just come as you are. His promise is draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. So man, with open, as CC and the worship have been leading us, just with a sense of openness and, and saying, God, I just, I just come as I am. I need you to speak. Be God. Just be God. Where I am is not going to deter you, God, from doing the work that you want to do. I let go of my demands, my expectations, my, my list of things and timetables and no, oh, and just simply say, you're God, I'm not. You're in control, I'm not. Surprise us this morning, Father. Surprise us this morning. Surprise us by meeting us in places where we didn't think you were going to meet us. Surprise us by speaking to us in areas of our lives that we weren't even aware of. Surprise us by God coming and encountering me and, and us in our mess and in our sins when we didn't think it was possible for there to be redemption healing. Surprise us this morning. Surprise us this morning. Holy Spirit, sweep, blow through this place.
Yes. Yes. We look for seeds that you will plant through a word, a song, a prayer. Help us to catch a glimpse of that coming to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Was it helpful to anybody? That was helpful for me. I sometimes you just walk in here and just kind of like just go through the, and I just needed that pause. I just... I just needed to pause because I woke up, I looked outside, looked at the snow, and I thought, people aren't going to show up to church. Why do I want to go to church? <laughs> and here you are. Warriors, what is happening to us in Chicago? We are becoming whims. They cancel school on Friday. What? What? There's like six inches of snow on the ground. What is happening to us? <laughs> so glad that you're here this morning. Uh, I, I, I do want to jump in. <clears throat> Right away, uh, in, in your inserts, I believe, uh, bulletin, you, have, you received an insert on uh, some information, background information on the book of Daniel, because we are going to, heading towards Lent, to finish the book of Daniel by going through chapters 4, 5, and 6. So I will ask that you multitask if you are not familiar with the book of Daniel, because I'm going to jump right in. Nebuchadnezzar is the king, the tyrant king, ruler of the known world. He rules the known world as the absolute monarch. Nebuchadnezzar was a central character in the book of Daniel, people of God who are in exile, is literally... Literally, he is the master of his own universe. You and I like to think we're masters of our universe. He is literally the master of his own universe. And Nebuchadnezzar is this amazing historical figure, by the way. He did something amazing. So he decides to make his personal residence the city of Babylon, which, by the way, was probably a little larger than the city of Chicago. And he did some amazing things to it. He built skyscrapers in the city of Babylon, as they were able to do back then. Amazing architecture. The other thing that he was able to do is he made, check this out, he made parks and green spaces all over the city. Imagine New York City with Central Park everywhere. It's one of the seven known wonders of the world. It's called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. By the way, some historians say that he did that for his wife, who missed home. That's where she was from, a place where they had lots of gardens. Nebuchadnezzar rules with ultimate and absolute authority. Here's somebody who's at the pinnacle of his power, maybe the kind of power that half a dozen people in all of history have ever known. And you guys, listen to the following sentence. His life completely falls apart anyway. And here's the amazing thing. You ready? He's glad it happened. I'm going to say that again. Here's a guy who has everything that anybody could ask for, and his life completely falls apart anyway, and he is glad that it happened. When it's done... He's glad that it happened. He actually, we're going to see, praises God and thanks God for having done it. Do you know why? Do you know why? Here's, by the way, where we're going. I'm going to set it up for this week. Go over next week. Here's the reason why he praises God for having done it. He says there was a spiritual cancer in me. 
that was so toxic, so devastating, so destructive, that the pain it took to get that thing out of me was absolutely worth it. Do you know what that was? The spiritual cancer infesting Nebuchadnezzar in one word was pride. Spiritual pride. Could it be um, as we journey this morning that our minds are as clouded as Nebuchadnezzar's was? Could it be that our life, some of us, is falling apart right now or is about to fall apart for the same reasons that Nebuchadnezzar's life fell apart? And if, by the way, there's anybody sitting here going, I could have skipped today because I don't struggle with pride. Mmm, Amber. According to the diagnostic manual in Scripture, the sign, the sign that you and I might have the sin of pride is that we are able to say, what? I don't have pride. What I want to do today, and as we've been doing this throughout the sermon series, is I've chosen, by the way, we could spend just one week per chapter. This chapter is super long. And so what I want to do is, as I've been committed to kind of going verse by verse, what I want to do is I want to kind of take you through the narrative and through the journey. And I'm going to pick out some highlights that kind of will set us up essentially for next Sunday when I will spend the entire Sunday on this sermon topic of spiritual pride. Spiritual, by the way, um, is this an issue or battle for any of us? And what I want to do today, though, is to basically look through the narrative and point out some highlights and some anchors, and then we will, next Sunday, delve in to this topic of pride. Daniel chapter 4, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar, to the nations and peoples of every language who live in all the earth. This is, if you will, the press release of all press releases. This is the absolute monarch of the Babylonian Empire calling for a press conference for the, for, for the entire world. May you prosper greatly, he says. Verse 2, it's my pleasure to tell you about what? His uh, successes? His gardens? His military accomplishments? It's my pleasure, no, to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom and his dominion endures from generation to generation. And if you are with us, have been with us, we have seen the spiritual journey of Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. And we finally come to Daniel 4 where we see a conversion happening in Nebuchadnezzar. How does this pagan king get converted from pride and arrogance to acknowledging God's kingship and his lordship? That is what we're going to kind of unpack today. One of the major themes in the book of Daniel is this truth. The God reigns sovereign over the rise and fall of earthly kingdoms. And this is good news to the exiles in Babylon. 
This is good news to the exiles of Babylon. This was to remind them that God is stronger than any prevailing force of culture. God is stronger than any Babylonian gods. And God is stronger than even Nebuchadnezzar himself. And when we're tempted to despair at what we see around us, we remember that our God reigns sovereign over the rise and fall of earthly kingdoms. Is this good news to anybody this morning? That God is sovereign over the rise and fall of earthly kingdoms and earthly kings. God is the sustainer of the universe. Without him, nothing has been made that's been made. He is the one who is purposely working out everything in accordance to his good and perfect will. Is this good news to anybody? See, there's a word of challenge and encouragement here this morning. Not just for the exiles, but for us. The encouragement is this, that is whenever we find ourselves asking, some of us are there this morning, where, God, where are you on the, all this? Where, where is God in all this? I want to remind all of us that God's saying, I'm right here. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm never out of control. I'm never rattled. I'm never taken off guard. The circumstance right there that caught us off guard is a good news to anybody that God has never caught off guard. And God's saying, I am still in your circumstance, in your situation, even when it doesn't seem that way. I'm still at work. In this unlikely situation, among these unlikely people, God is sovereign. I don't know about you, but I need that reminder today. There's also a word of challenge, though, not just encouragement. The challenge is this, you guys. That is, that is this. There's no truth about God that's more likely to evoke either humility or rebellion. And it's true that God is sovereign. There is no truth about God. So let me ask you, is your response, and be honest this morning, is it humility before the fact that God knows exactly what he is doing? He's accomplishing everything for the purpose of his will. Do you bow down before the mystery then and say, God, I trust you. You're God. You're Father. I worship you. Or, 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 or do you find in your heart, church, Resistance and rebellion going, uh-uh, not for a moment. No, I don't think so. Humility? I don't think so. Rebellion. It's a litmus test to where we stand with God. Let me say it again. Let me say it again. What is your heart posture, though, this truth? God is God. Humility or rebellion? So what was it? What were the signs and wonders that God performed the Nebuchadnezzar saw? Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. This is some of us. 2017 was a good year, yeah? Yeah? 2017 was a good year. Anybody? <laughs> it was a good year. Things went really well. Verse 5. Then I had a dream that made me afraid. This is what I call the doctor's office called with the results of the test moment. Two people this past year in my life went from my life is progressing just as I imagined to cancer. One second. In one second, trajectory of their entire life changed. 
all this ease and prosperity, and then in one split second, everything changes. It reminds us of another, actually, guy that Jesus talked about. Do you remember this guy? A guy who was doing remarkably well, by the way, uh, and had plans to expand his life. Luke chapter 12, verse 18 is where we find that story. This guy says, uh, this is what I'll do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and they all store my surplus grain. And then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. I'm going to take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who's going to get what you prepare for yourself? His prosperity, success, and bank account, a soft enough bed on which to find peace? His ease and comfort a wide enough blanket under which we can find security? You don't need this king to give you this example to point out to us. You just need to look around and see how true this is in our world today. I just got to ask, are you sitting there going, Tomorrow I'm going to do that. Next day I'm going to do that. And then, One second. Trajectory of entire life. Verse 6. So I commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. When the magicians and tanders, astrologers, and the diviners, diviners, div is it diviners, diviners, who... Anyway, one of these guys. I told them the dream, but they could not interpret for me. If you've been following with us through the book of Daniel, this is nothing new. What does Nebuchadnezzar do? Whenever he finds himself with a dreamy candidate or something happens, he doesn't know. What does he do? What does he do? He calls these clowns in, these dudes, right? He calls these guys. He says, hey, interpret the dream for me. Only to realize that they don't have the answers that he's looking for. Isn't that amazing how people go back to the same things again and again and again? Hey, king, there are no answers there. Hey, king, what you're looking for isn't found there. Hey, king Nebuchadnezzar, we've been down this path before. But church, uh, don't we do the same thing? Hey, church, why do you keep going back to that? There are no answers there. Hey, church, why you continue to go back into his arms? There are no answers there. Why you continue to go back into her arms? There are no answers there. Why you keep watching that? There are no answers there. Why you keep spending money on that? There are no answers there. Why do you keep going to them? There are no answers there. Why do you keep going to look for places where no answers can be found? Don't be too harsh on Nebuchadnezzar. Why do you keep going back there when there are no answers there? Someone once said the definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over again, but expecting different results. I want to tell you something, and if this resonates with you, say amen. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that the human soul is so big that you could pour all the empires into that soul, empires into that hole, and it will never be complete. The Bible says that your soul, the human soul, 
something, want something bigger than this world. C.S. Lewis said, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only explanation is that what? I was made for another world. I'm going to say something to somebody this morning. You are sitting here this morning, and you have gone to the same thing over and over and over again for answers. Same thing over and over and over and over and over again for answers. There are no answers there. Why do you keep going there? Why not try something new? Why not try something different? Well, what is that, Pastor Peter? Let's keep looking. For say, finally, Daniel came into my presence, and I told him the dream. He's called Belshazzar, by the way, after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. I said, Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you, and no mystery is too difficult for you. So here's my dream. I need you to interpret for me. These are the visions I saw while lying in my bed. I looked, and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong, and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its food abundant, and it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter, and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. Question, do you think the king knew that this was talking about him? Probably. Probably. Verse 13, in the visions I saw while lying in bed, I looked and there before me was a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven. Unlike the magicians and the enchanters and the astrologers and diviners, the one from heaven is the only one who is able to give an answer. But as we'll see, he's not going to like the answer. Church, I just want to share something. Do you know that for uh, 30 years I've been a pastor? I've had a chance to meet people. I'm talking, I'm talking people who are strung out on drugs. I'm talking people who are so addicted. To, I'm talking about people who have just slept with just about everybody they can find. I'm talking about people who literally were so desperate and just, just so almost at the end of themselves. They're looking for help, and they come, and I'll talk with them, and then I'll say, well, there is a place where you could find an answer. He is the one come down from heaven, and this is what he says. And I kid you not, they'll say, no thanks. What else you got? No thanks. What else you got? Verse 14, he called in a loud voice. Cut down the tree and trim off its branches, strip off its leaves, and scatter its fruit. In other words, the message is one of judgment and destruction. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But let the stump and its roots, bound with iron and bronze, remain in the ground, in the grass of the field. You know what I love? I love the fact that in the message of judgment, there's also a message of grace and mercy. You notice what God does? God doesn't say, uproot the entire tree. He leaves the stump and its roots on the ground. I love the fact that according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's always judgment, but there's also grace. There is justice, but there is love at the same time. And if you want the ultimate example of that, look to the cross. Let him 
pronoun changes all of a sudden. Be drenched with the dew of heaven. It's no longer impersonal, it's personal. And let him live with the animals along the plants of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let him be given the mind of an animal until seven times passes by for him. The judgment is that there's going to be a dramatic change in his circumstances. He is destined for an animal-like existence. A little preview for next week. You ready? Here's what pride does. When you want to be more than what God intended for you, you ultimately become less than what God intended for you. When in your rebellion and pride, you go, I'm going to be more than what God intended for me. We wind up being less than what God intended for us. Verse 17, the decision is announced by messengers. The holy ones declare the verdict so that the living may know that the most high is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes and sets them over the lowliest of people. Verse 18, this is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. By the way, spirit of the holy gods is in you throughout the Old Testament is a pointer to Jesus, the Messiah. <laughs> we'll talk about it next week. Verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time. And his thoughts terrified him. Uh, there's two people that are scared to death. So the king said, Belshazzar, don't let the dream or its meaning alarm you. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just needed to laugh at that. <laughs> so Daniel tries to comfort Nebuchadnezzar, and Nebuchadnezzar, and I was trying to comfort Daniel, going, well, well, it's okay, it'll be okay, it'll be okay. To which Daniel would have said, that's easy for you to say. Belshazzar answered, my Lord, this is Daniel, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. There's such an important point here. Help us, Lord, CC. Do you sense any delight in Daniel in pronouncing judgment on Belshazzar? Do you, do you see any delight in Daniel wanting to stick it to Nebuchadnezzar? There is absolutely no sense in which Daniel is delighting in pronouncing judgment or sticking it to the king. Literally, Daniel here says, I'm going to tell you what you asked for, but man, Nebuchadnezzar, I wish it was for somebody else. Man, Nebuchadnezzar, I, I wish this wasn't intended for you. There is deep agony in Daniel and what he has to say to Nebuchadnezzar. Dear God, how we need more Daniels in our culture today. How desperately we need more Daniels in our culture in which we need more truth speakers People who will speak truth to power, truth to lies, truth to half lies. How we desperately need more followers of Jesus who will speak the truth but in love and in compassion. How desperately we need more Daniels who will with agony and empathy and deep sorrow say to the known world what truth is how we desperately need more Daniels and not false prophets parading around with prophetic voices who say, I am speaking truth, but they have absolutely no regard for relationships. This is 
Daniel agonizing over the fact that he has to speak this truth. But make no mistake about it, church. Daniel does not let his compassion deter his conviction. Daniel does not allow his compassion to silence his declaration. Daniel is unafraid, though, to speak truth, to power. He goes at the king. He does not hold back. Verse 22, your majesty, you are that tree. Verse 24, this is the interpretation. And he tells him, your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Verse 26, the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Here's Daniel's plea. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. By the way, this is huge for next week. Judgment for Nebuchadnezzar is partly for his sins of injustice. I just want to acknowledge Old Testament. There are two sins in which God harshly judges his people. One was idolatry. Second was what? Injustice. Well, we'll talk next week about pride is at the root source of injustice. And if we do not deal with injustice as a people of God, judgment. The Bible says, Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. And I just want to say one more time, there's judgment, but there's also mercy. In the midst of judgment, and this is how God works. Nebuchadnezzar, Daniel says, there is still time for you to repent. There is still an opportunity for you to turn from your sins. Do what's right. Do what's right. And look at what happens, you guys. Verse 29. Say it with me. 29. First part. Twelve months later. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later. Twelve months later. Why? Psalm 145.8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love, to which all the God's people said, amen. Romans 2.4, don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to churn you from your sins? The reason why you and I are still alive within an earshot of the gospel to churn from our rebellion and churn to God is an account of his kindness and his mercy and his love. Can I just say something? Some of us 12 months, 12 months, God says, 12 months, do what's right, 
Do you know why I'm saying this? Because you're sitting here today right now, and I'm, God has been sending Daniels into your life. They're sitting next to you. They're in your small group. God has been sending Daniels and voices into your life and into my life. What are these voices, Peter? They're voices to tell you, you're not in charge. You're not in control. You're not God. God's sending these voices into our lives. Almost as warning shots. Are you listening? Am I listening? Are you listening? Am I listening? Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, it's not, listen very carefully, listen to his words, it's not this the great Babylon I have built as my royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty. Do you know what spiritual pride boils down to? If you don't want to be here next week, here it is. Spiritual pride boils down to this. I built it. I did it. By my might. By my power. My smarts. My work ethic. My perseverance. I did it. So therefore, spiritual pride, I deserve. I'm old. I deserve. I'm old. He's sitting in his favorite chair, drinking his favorite drink, and he has told himself that what Daniel said was never going to happen. God will never do. Verse 31, even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. Verse 33, and immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. There's no more time left. There's no more mercy. It's judgment. He was driven from the people and ate grass like ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. What a picture. Full of himself, he is now devoid of sanity. He who is couched in luxury is no longer allowed on the couch. He refuses to give God glory is now robbed of any glory he himself might know. Most commentators say, by the way, that what he, what Nebuchadnezzar shows is signs of insanity with apparent delusional idea that he was actually an animal. One of the most sobering verses in the Bible is this, don't be, don't be deceived, God will not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, he will what? He will reap. God gives and God ultimately takes away. Church, I realize that this is a heavy, heavy sermon this morning, but I'm going to say something. If you're sitting here this morning and anything that I'm saying is resonating with you about, that's me. 
Don't say to yourself, I'm going to do something about it tomorrow. Why? There might not be tomorrow. Therefore, at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raise my eyes <laughs> towards heaven. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raise my eyes towards heaven and my sanity was restored. Do you know a picture I had when I read this verse? Psalm 21, 121. Does anybody know that Psalm? Psalm 121. I lift my eyes up, up to the heavens. Where does my help come from? My help comes from you, maker of heaven, creator of the earth. Church, do you know that who you and I raise our eyes towards? Do you know who you and I raise our eyes towards to tells everything that there is to know about us? Do you know that who we ultimately raise our eyes to, who we ultimately raise our eyes to tells everything there is to know about our existence? My question to you and I this morning is this, where does your help come from? Where does your help come from? Where does my help come from? The one who created the heavens and the earth or to some created thing? Every day of our lives, we are being told and tempted by the world to raise our eyes to some other created thing. Our job, our success, our children, our career, our grades, our ministry. And the Bible says who you and I ultimately raise our eyes to tells everything there is to know about our existence. Can I get an amen? Where does your help come from? Where does your help come from? We think there's answers found in all these other places. And I want to say this morning, that's insanity. That's madness. There's only one place where answer can be found, and his name is Jesus. Where does your help come from? Where? Does our help come from? I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. You know, people say that you have to check your brain at the door if you want to believe in God. I think that's insanity. It's the opposite. And his pride eventually gives way to praise. I'm going to look at, look at the end of it. He starts with the doxology at, the verse, at chapter 4. He ends, then I praised the Most High. And this is beautiful doxology. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand. 
hands or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and my splendor were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Verse 37, I now, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of kings and the Lord of lords because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And then, and those who walk in pride, he is able to, to humble. Those who walk in pride, it's not an if. It's a when. As I set you up for next week, let me end with two thoughts. And I'm going to ask you to do something at the end of this sermon. I haven't done in a while. It's going to require courage. I say all the time around here that Christianity is a message of transformation. Your identity changes. You're born again. You're not the same person. Christianity grew through conversion. Don't let somebody tell you that Christianity grew because of its teaching or beliefs or ethics. Christianity grew because people's lives were transformed and changed. Christianity is a power that took you up, a power that converted you, a power that completely turned you inside out and transformed you upside down. I'm saying all the time that don't underestimate Christianity because it's not moral reformation, it's total transformation. Can I get an amen? Moral reformation is something you do. Christianity says there's a power of kingdom that comes down and does something to you. Receiving the kingdom is something that's done to you. There's nothing in your past or present that can't be overcome. No one anywhere under any circumstances beyond the reach of God. Can I get an amen? No one is too evil. No one is too evil. No one is too hard-hearted. Nebuchadnezzar we're talking about here for God to work in. He can take any raw material and make it fit for a king. That's the power of the kingdom. That's the power of the kingdom. But in order for there to be conversion, two things happen to Nebuchadnezzar and two things you and I need to encounter. One, the king's conversion comes through brokenness. The king's conversion comes through brokenness. And in all of my years being a Christian and a pastor, I have never seen an exception to this rule. Someone who is way more articulate than I am said the following. And you know, I don't like reading long quotes, and I rarely do. But this quote, not super long, I need to read. Conversion is often prefaced by humiliation so that he can experience God's consolation. Just like Nebuchadnezzar, you and I will remain charmed but not changed. We will flirt with an understanding of God but remain unconverted until we are broken. Broken what, Peter? Broken of our pride, broken of our self-sufficiency, broken of our dependence on our own selves, broken of our illusion and delusion about who's in control and who runs the universe. That, my friends, has to be broken. 
Then he goes on to quote, when God therefore wishes to lead us to repentance, he is compelled to repeat his blows continually, either because we are not moved when God chastises us with his bands, or we seem to be roused for a time, but returns again to our former apathy. He is compelled, therefore, to redouble his blows. Please listen. This is why God in his mercy and grace and love because he loves you and he loves me, will come and bring about brokenness. God will come in mercy and in grace to teach us the one truth that we need if you want. I'm not talking about you've been in church all your life. To be truly converted and transformed, that is coming grips with this truth. I am not in charge, I am not in control, and I am not God. And life will work and only work when I embrace his will for my life. And here's the thing. I have yet to see a person learn that truth by being told you have to be shown. You and I walked in here this morning, give lip service to God. You're in charge, I'm not. You're in control, I'm not. You run the universe, I'm not. We walk around giving lip services truth until something happens to our lives that awaken us to realize, I am not in control. I am not in charge. I am not God. And my life will not work until I embrace his will for my life. Can I just say something here? How many of you guys, this is your testimony. Clap if this is your testimony. Clap if this is, I'm, I'm serious. Clap if this is your testimony. If, if, if this is your testimony this morning where you thought, I was lost and blind, Peter. I thought I knew what I was doing. I was so arrogant, so prideful. I thought I had my life mapped out and only in grace and mercy did God intervene in my life because the best thing that happened to my life was that he didn't give me what I asked for and he intervened and interrupted the path that I was on. There's not a single person in here who says, I encounter God without that experience. That's called brokenness. And if you are sitting here, someone who is going through that process, I have good news for you. You know what that is? That is God says, I will never leave you in your state of brokenness, though. He says, I want to do healing and I want to restore. He says, I want to show you that life only works when you embrace my will for your life. And he has some things that he wants to do in you. Maybe today is the day, maybe today is the day that you say, I want your will for my life, not mine. Maybe today is the day, some of you walking around lip service, been a Christian, maybe today is the day that you surrender your will to his. Maybe today is the day you say, not my will, but yours be done. Like for real, for real. But conversion also doesn't happen. Until you see God for who he is. The king's conversion comes to seeing God for who he is. Conversion begins when you raise your eyes towards heaven and see God for who he is. Not as you want him to be. Not as you imagine him to be. Church, did you hear what I said? Conversion begins when you see God for who he is. And not as you want him to be. Not as you imagine him to be. I hear people say all the time, I like to think of God as. Problem is, that picture of God has no resemblance to God as revealed in scripture, in creation, or in his son Jesus. And I want to say something, that God, you imagine that God you created, that God does not have the power to transform you, change you, because he's the product of you. How can a God that you created in your mind overcome the voices of your heart when your heart says to you, you're condemned, you're guilty? The only voice that can squelch that voices of your heart is a God who is greater than your heart. Amen. First John 3. There is a God who is greater than our hearts. 
Conversion only begins when you and I look up and we see God for who he is, not as we want him to be or imagine him to be. So you know what I want to do? I want to end. See, you can come on out. Just as Nebuchadnezzar did with his doxology, the most beautiful doxology I find in the New Testament is one that's written by Paul at the end of Romans where he just goes off and he says, this is who God is. And if this causes your heart to leap and to jump, because this is the God that you see, worship him. But if you have challenged with this, I have a question that I want to leave you with at the end. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Who has given to God that God should repay him? For from him and to him and for him are all things. To him be glory forever. <laughs> Can I read that one more time? Is it okay? Because I need this reminder. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To you, God, be all the glory. This is who God is. God does not need us. God does not owe us anything. When God was alone, he was entirely self-sufficient and happy, thank you very much. He was not in need of the creatures that he made. And he does not need them, nor does he in need of them today to sustain his glory, to declare his goodness, and to add to his blessedness. It's a wonder that this God would enable us in his son Jesus Christ to call him our Father. So my question for you this morning as I end simply is this. As this truth comes to you and see God for who he is, is your response one of humility? Or is it rebellion? Is it one of, I embrace the mystery, your God. Or is it one of, I don't think so. one of humility or is it one of I don't think so this morning is there anybody here this morning who has struggled and is in need to declare to yourself and to God I want to embrace your will for my life, not mine. I want to surrender to your purposes and not mine. My response is humility and surrender. If that's you, you, you need that prayer. Will you stand from where you are? Just 
stand. Just stand for more. If that is you, 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 just, that's me, that's me, that's me. That's why I'm standing. I'm not just standing because I'm preaching. I am up here telling you, telling you that daily, every single day I've struggled with this. And today, today, I come here this morning and I need prayer that says, God, I want to humble myself, fall on my knees, acknowledge your sovereign God, and in humility say, I embrace your will for my life, not mine. I embrace you. If that's you, will you stand from where you are? Come on, church. If that's you, stand from where you are. Stand from where you are. Stand from where you are. Don't fight it. Don't resist it. Don't in your arrogance and pride, in my arrogance and pride, don't care about who's looking. Don't care about who's watching. Don't let that deter you. If you know you walked in here and you know deep in your heart, your prayer needs to be your will, not mine. Stand from where you are because I want us to pray together. I'm going to give 10 more seconds because I am serious about giving you an opportunity, giving me an opportunity to do this. And if you do not, in this moment, we're just going to move and we're going to pray. So I just want to give you an opportunity. I don't want to exert pressure on you. I just want to, I just want you to be courageous and be bold. Come on, just stand from where you are with me. I want us to pray. And if you are a child standing here today, and you know what? I am looking out and I am seeing folks who I know you have not personally, you have not personally and decisively said this prayer in relationship to saying, I want to follow you. To this point, you have not even considered yourself a Christian, but I see you. I see you. I do. I do see you. And your heavenly father sees you. So here's what I want us to do. Whether you're a Christian or not, praying this for the first time or praying it maybe for the 10th time, I want you to know as you stand that in your act of humility and surrender. Oh man, oh man. God sees you. God hears you. So here's what I want you to do. Real simple from where you are. Just say, God, I want your will for my life, not mine. God, let your will be done in my life, not mine. Just say that few times. God, I want to embrace your will for my life and not mine. God, I want to surrender my will for yours and not mine. God, I want to let your will be done and not mine. Yeah, yeah. He sees you. Our Father hears you. Our Father sees you. Our Father hears you. And, and, and if you're standing, will you do this? Will you stretch out your hand? Come on, stretch out your hand. Stretch out your hand just in front of you and, and with your palms open. This, this in Scripture is an act and a posture of worship that says, I am helpless. I am dependent. I am not self-sufficient. I am not smart enough, powerful enough, mighty enough to do this thing my own. And with your hands open, I just want to pray for you as I pray for me. Oh, King of kings, Lord of lords, you see 
these precious souls standing. We lift up our hands as we look towards the heavens. Where does my help come from? My help, it comes from you, maker of heaven and earth. I am dependent, I am weak, I am helpless, I am powerless. I need you today and I need you the rest of my days. I receive your will for my life. I receive your, your will for my life. I receive your will for my life, not mine. May your kingdom come and your will be done. Show us how to live in accordance with your will. Show us how to live in accordance with your ways. Show us how to live in every day, second by second, moment by moment, dependence on you. I look to the heavens. Where does my help come from? It comes from you. The rest of us will stand and join our brothers and sisters that have stood.